Welcome to the Maternity and Midwifery Hour, brought to you once a week by the Maternity and Midwifery Forum. This podcast is supported by Matflix, video streaming from maternity experts. All your CPD needs made easy. If you need to get your revalidation done or have a student project to complete, Matflix is the one-stop shop. And welcome to this week's Maternity and Midwifery Hour. My name's Sue McDonald and I'm the curator for this Maternity and Midwifery Hour as well as the Maternity and Midwifery Festivals. And it's my pleasure to be chairing the session this evening. It's the seventh session of the ninth series of Maternity and Midwifery Hour. And I'm really so pleased to be de- to be joined by two wonderful women one a midwife, one not a midwife, but both wonderful. And that's Elaine Coote, who was Hansack, and some of you will know Elaine as Elaine Hansack, and Rosie Doman, who's a midwife. And many will you, many of you will know Rosie too. Now, we always have to put our speakers on a little bit on the spot and ask them to share with us a moment of their week. And I shall ask Elaine first, if I may. Well, thank you for inviting me back again. Uh, your regular listeners, watchers may be remember that the last time I was here, I, I talked about long COVID, which I suffered from for months. And one of the things about that was for months and months, lack of energy. And that was back in a- April 2020, I first was ill. And it's only really the last 10 months, I would say, that I can do things now without even thinking about the energy that I'm using And I get a real buzz at the end of doing something. I think, wow, I couldn't have done that in long COVID. Mm. Well, I've I've got into spring cleaning this year for the first time. I know, I know. (laughs) And I've got a gadget that I've become addicted to. (laughs) And it's a little little triangle um, that way. Like almost, I suppose, like uterus, thinking about it. But it's like, I think it's made out of copper. And you can scrape the edges of the carpet with it. You know where the edge is quite black? And the amount of fluff that's come up, well, I mean, every room, my husband keeps saying, I know where you are because I can hear the scratching. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not sure what the technical word is for this gadget, but the spring cleaning that I am doing now with the spring in my step is certainly improved by these little scratchy (laughs) gadgets. I love this. It It could only happen here. (laughs) (laughs) the moment of the week a return to housework but I guess that reinforces the the impact of of long Covid Mm. and on Covid itself and and on us now realizing how much you take for granted yes so that's a fantastic moment of the week (laughs) I'm going to have to look up this gadget later yes I think maybe we'll add it to the list of resources I think we might have to I think we might have to now how about Rosie do you have a similar exciting household gadget story <laughs> absolutely not everybody knows me knows that cooking and cleaning is not my forte okay <laughs> uh no so my moment of the week actually came today um one after the other actually i was sitting in the office um being boggled down by emails and excel microsoft excel and all the things um that entails with work these days and um, I got two really, te- really lovely texts after um, one after the other from two um, of my lovely midwives, um, both thanking me. Uh, one was because um, she'd struggled recently with an assignment that she had to do. 
um, and I sat down with her and helped her restructure it um, so that it flowed more easily. Um, and she texts me to say that she passed the assignment and she was taking me out for a drink. Ooh, that sounds <laughs> And good. the other one was from um, one of my midwives who was um, stressed like most people these days because mm. the cost of living is going up and and she would really needs a holiday and um, and she just couldn't see how she was going to fit a holiday this year in. But she desperately needed it for her mental health. Uh, which is quite apt for this evening's session. Mm. And um, I told her about some trust benefits that we have. And she has now booked herself in for a holiday in July. And she's so, so, so impressed. And she's so grateful. So, yeah, two really lovely thank you tips. Well, I think you're cheating a bit, Rosie, having two <laughs> moments of the week. But I think that's very, we'll allow you. We'll allow you. And that's lovely. <laughs> to sh- And thank you so much for sharing those moments because I think that's really important because those really illustrate the important things in life and and how you know little things can be really big for us and 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 I've already had some very positive feedback for both of you before you've even spoken about how much people are looking forward to hearing you today so I shall swiftly go in my usual spiel And just to remind people, and Elaine has really highlighted it for me, but we came into being the maternity and midwifery hour. We're nearly three years old now. We came into being with the onset of COVID and it was really as a way for midwives and student midwives, actually in loads of people within the maternity services, because I know we have paediatricians and neonatologists and obstetricians joining us on occasion. So it was a good way of connecting and a good way of getting information. And obviously, initially, we had a lot of stuff on COVID because we just didn't know much about it. But we've kind of moved on to different things now and it's I know that people find this hour really useful because even if you're really busy and most midwives and student midwives are busy either with work or with the dreaded assignments or whatever so to have an hour where you can just absorb and kind of learn something new and think about something slightly different has been very useful and it's all taped so if you miss it have you missed any or you like if you've come here for the first time ever welcome and we have all this recordings we have about a thousand and a hundred and i think it's probably 110 something like that now um sessions that have been recorded and you can access all of them via Matflix. So if you are doing an assignment or a project or dissertation, get along to Matflix and see what whether there's things that you could use in your work. If you want something a little bit more focused, the lovely Dr. Jenny Hall does curating and has the has we've developed these lovely box sets which are very focused and have lots of little activities. So if you're doing revalidation or anything of that nature, fantastic. And do share whatever you're doing. It's re- we really like that in here. Now, I'm just going to say as as I often do, a big thank you to our midwives and our student midwives for all they're doing, because it's hard time at the moment. There's so much going on in the world, not just in the NHS and our world, but the bigger world. And it's it's quite scary at the moment. And I think that impacts on a lot of things we do. So thank you for keeping things going and just look after yourselves, because when it's like this, it's it's difficult to kind of cope sometimes. And I hope that some things that we're going to talk about this evening might just help 
in some ways and we'll be returning to this over the next few weeks as well and also I'm I'm aware there's still COVID about there's a filthy old flu around and there's a filthy old cold going around so you're obviously covering sickness and some of you might be sick yourself so if you are get well soon and and give in to it, go to bed or go and sit on the sofa and watch rubbishy TV and read all those novels you always meant to and look after yourselves. Now, so we've got, I'm just doing a quick news thing. Um, still it, terrible news from Turkey and Syria with this terrible, terrible earthquake and a further tremor a couple of days ago. And we'll send love and, and strength to all of the people who've been suffer, suffering, who've lost people or have been injured and people here who've got family there. And and I will say, if you've got any spare pennies, if you can send them, send them to a, a recognised um, charity like UNICEF or UNHCR or the DEC Appeal. Um, I know there's some scams around, so keep your eyes open for that because you want your money to go to, to people, not to some scammer. Um, I'll say it's nearly a year since the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and that's very much on people's minds. Um, we might be talking a little bit more about that next week. Um, in fact, I'm going to direct you because I think this is a very useful way of getting little snippets of news because I can only share a little bit in this evening. Um, the Maternity and Midwifery Forum site has got a whole little slot of up-to-date news and little links to places so check it out that's your homework for tonight there I like I'm a typical teacher give you homework and also I'll highlight that the International Confederation of Midwives president Franca is coming her term of office coming to the end in June and it's just again I think we'll probably return to this at a later point but she's been a fantastic president so It'll be sad that she's not there. She comes up with some really exciting words of wisdom, which have been very helpful to us as midwives, I know. Anyway, so now, because I'm trying to keep to my time and be a good chair, we're coming to um, the main meat of the evening. And we're looking at the issue of perinatal mental health and the short and long-term effects on women and their families and babies. And this in includes the impact of postnatal depression and not just the, the simple impact, but sometimes the long term where we're going with this. And and I'm hoping quite a bit on how midwives can really support women and their families through getting back to health and well-being. And I'm going to start by introducing Rosie Doman, who's a midwife and clinical educator at Bart's Healthcare Trust. She's worked in all areas of midwifery, including roles as lead for midwifery, preceptorship and labour ward coordinator. She was awarded, I love this, the quality mark for capital midwife preceptorship and selected as a midwifery ambassador for the National Improvement Project. And during the pandemic was redeployed to ICU. And I'm going to welcome Rosie. Thank you very much for coming this evening, Rosie. Because I think we're going to find a bit about why Rosie came into midwifery. Welcome. Um, the screen is now yours. I didn't say the magic <laughs> words. No, that's fine. Hi, everyone. So, um, yeah, I think coming into midwifery was a bit of a fluke for me, really. Actually, I was um, a young mum. I was working in a pub. 
Um, and I was 19 and I, none of my family were medical. None of my background was medical. None of my family had even been to university. Um, we were all very much working class and doing, you know, quite simple things in, in comparison to midwifery. Um, and um, I was doing very well in my job as an um, assistant pub manager at 19 and I was earning a ton of money, which is more than actually I earn now, which is surprising. Um, and I very unexpectedly fell pregnant. And anybody that knows me knows that I'm a bit of a doer and I just get on with things. Um, and I try not to be phased too much by life. And when I found out I was pregnant, um, I was just, I was just floored and I was devastated because you know, I was using contraception and, you know, all of those things, a bit TMI. Um, but it was just not in my plan. Um, I wasn't married. I didn't have a house. Um, you know, I, I was a very much a sensible person that wanted to be married. I wanted to have the house. I wanted to have my life in order before the family came. Um, so my, my depression actually started quite early on in my pregnancy um, and was not, you know, postnatal at you know as it started um so all throughout my pregnancy I I actually hated it um I loved my baby and I bonded very well with my baby um but all the media out there and all my midwives and all of the contact that I had with literally everything even my mum um everybody told me that I should love pregnancy everybody told me that I should be enjoying myself and actually, it couldn't have been further from the truth. I absolutely hated it. I hated every minute. I couldn't walk because I had horrendous sciatica. And if I did so many steps, I'd fall over. I couldn't stay active. Um, so it just kind of built up and built up through my pregnancy. And then I um, went into labour and my labour was amazing. Like after having such a horrible pregnancy, my labour was amazing. My midwives were amazing. And I was you know, treated with such care at that time. Um, and then postnatally, you know, the initial rosy glow and the baby moon really kicked in and I was really, really happy. I loved my baby. I was doing all the things, you know, that, again, that the media and society tells us that we should do. And and I felt really good. You know, I was, I was still young. I was I was just 20, I think, at this point. And, um, and yeah, life was really going quite well at that point um, and then probably about eight weeks postnatal six to eight weeks postnatally um, the depression started to creep back again um, I started to feel utterly useless um, I had crippling anxiety um, I very much um, couldn't see anything good um, and all in all I really couldn't understand how I was going to be a positive mum and I couldn't understand how this little person um, could be a good person turn into a good person with somebody like me and I'm getting emotional because and I really didn't think I would be actually I'm just saying it so I really didn't think that um, that I was going to be anything good for this baby um, I couldn't see how um, how he could be a success, how he could thrive, how he could become a great human being. Um, I had really good support around me, amazing support around me. Um, and they recognised that something was wrong with me um, and encouraged me to go 
to the doctor. So I went to my doctor um, and they were useless. <laughs> they didn't have a clue about what I was going through. They didn't understand what um, I was explaining, how I felt. And actually, I was hiding a lot of how I felt because I was so scared that this medical professional would see what a fake and a fraud I was. And they'd take my baby away from me, which was my biggest fear because obviously I was a young mum and, and I wasn't married and I didn't have the house and I wasn't stable. And, and I was just so, so scared that I, I didn't even, you know, I didn't even share half of things that were going through my head. And, you know, my, my family still picked up on it. The, the doctor put me on antidepressants, which I started taking, um, but they weren't really any use, if I'm honest. They didn't really help me. They didn't make me feel any better. In fact, they made me feel worse because I felt sleepy um, and I couldn't manage the things, you know, the basic cares of the baby with the basic cares of myself, let alone myself. I didn't want to shower. I didn't want to do any of those things. And um, my family kicked in again, my support system, my husband, bless him. We're not married, but I call him my husband. <laughs> um, he has been my absolute rock. Um, he was previously in a previous life before I met him. He was a drug and alcohol abuse counsellor. So he gave me some tips and some things that I could do um, to kind of acknowledge what I was going through and help me through it. And through just giving me those really simple tips um, one of them that I remember I only remember I think one maybe this one was to write a diary um, each day just a few words and to um, to rate my day from one to ten on how good or bad it was uh, and then you know so that when the next day came if I could see I was having having good day that when I was in that dark moment I um, I would come through it and some days it would be quite light and other days it would just be black scratches through that that paper, like literally tearing through the paper. So it was an absolutely horrendous time. And then fast forward about nine months, no, not nine. Yeah, about nine months. Um, I started to feel well again and then I started to get my ambition back and I realised that I really didn't like my job I hated my job now that I had a baby it was so insignificant and I was looking at what I could do to provide a career for my baby and um prior to you know whatever had happened in my life I, I thought about nursing um so I um went to look at nursing and I just I couldn't gel with it I didn't understand why I didn't like it and I couldn't gel with it my, my main thing was I didn't want to look after old people because my mum was a um a home help and I used to go with her while she was home help for 20 years and and I, I'd had real good insight into that side of it and I just didn't want to do it and through my one of my darkest days um it was actually this was actually before the nine months mark, actually, um, through one of my darkest days, I was sat in a cafe in North Wales um, on the promenade. And um, I was actually contemplating suicide. I was going to leave my son at, in the cafe because it was a really nice cafe with lovely people in it. That was my rationale. Um, and I was going to just walk out into the sea and not come back. And um, I got talking to a man who I'd never met before. And probably overshared with him too like I have with you guys tonight 
and um I told him about all my woes and he told me well what do you want to do with life and um I said I should do my nursing training because I need to provide for my baby and he said to me well what does nursing mean to you and I you know told him and he said to me you're not a nurse you're a midwife and this man actually was a retired um, anesthetic consultant and he told me really really straight you're not a nurse you're a midwife so then when I started feeling better, I started to re, you know, negotiate my ambitions and what I wanted to do with my life. And um, I started to look at midwifery rather than nursing, because as I started to feel better, I, I thought to myself, there's, you know, people deserve better. Women deserve better. They shouldn't be going through this kind of emotion that I went through. You know, and I knew I could do better. Um, so I applied um for my interview I had to do a, a um, blind uh timed essay and I did that on mental health um and women's health and um and I was successful and then during my training I was really lucky I was supported so much by my midwifery mentors and by my family and those around me um, and I um, had a little bit of a blip again in my second year, which I don't know if that was the midwifery training second year blip or whether that was just me. Um, you know, my mental health was still playing around a little bit. I still wasn't 100% stable, um, but I had a little blip and I came through that. I also had some very significant things going on in my life at the time. So it's not really any surprise that that happened. And then I had. Um, a moment where I thought to myself, oh, my God, I can't do this. How can I ever be a midwife? You know, I'm supposed to be an advocate for, for women and their families. And yet I can't even advocate for myself. And um, and I went to a, a book, bookstore <laughs> and I went to buy a self-help book for the first time in my life. And um, it was called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Little plug for that book. And I opened the book. Uh, when I got home and it just had one sentence in the in the blurb at the beginning of the book which said um, life without fear is boring feel the fear and do it anyway and I've kind of lived my my midwifery career with just that one sentence you know life without fear is boring so feel fear and do it anyway so now I qualified I became a midwife and I think one of the main things that I do as a midwife is I try and really share a part of myself with everybody. Um, I, you know, I let them know it's okay to not be okay. I let them know that it's great to feel okay if you feel okay, you know, to soak it up, to just acknowledge what you're feeling and be supported through the feelings, whether that's um, as a service user or as a midwife. Um, and I think by doing that, I have got quite a good following in terms of people that have worked with me, in terms of my um, service users. I've got so many that have sent me such lovely um, information over the years, such lovely cards, such lovely letters. Um, and yeah, it's it's been a tough old journey. I'm not going to lie. And it's been hard. And there are times when I still struggle. Um, and now I'm at a, a level of being a matron and I, I still struggle and I and I still have to keep myself real and I still have to say to people it's okay to not be okay and you know just 
to help people through it. I think that's what my purpose on this side of the fence is, just to help people through whatever it is that they're going through. Um, so, yeah, it has been a tough journey, but it's been an incredible ride and one that I don't think I'll ever get off, <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> I think I think we'd be glad that you're not going to get off that that journey, Rosie. Thank, and thank you so much for sharing that journey because it's a it, and I think what I'm kind of um, grasping from that is your kind of your self honesty because I think a lot of the time we can we can hide it all and tuck it all away and that's probably even worse because it's going to come out at some point and and you've illustrated because nine months of going through that must have been so hard and and to kind of now turn around but know that you you know yourself so well which is fantastic and thank you I so much I still have my moments I'm not perfect <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the things that I've one of my coping strategies is you know a couple of them now in days of whatsapp he's just mute all of the whatsapp groups um except the things that i can't do you know be honest with people and say when i can't do something and um prioritize what i'm doing because you know it just gets so overwhelming otherwise there's just too many things to do and just not enough hours in the year to do it all or even in the day yeah, exactly <laughs> well thank you rosie thank you for starting us off with this discussion we will we'll return and people are commenting um so far so for our audience just to remind you if you have any questions or comments you want to make to our speakers or raise this evening you just need to go now to the right of the video player and put in a question or a comment and then it comes through to me which is why I'm looking over here is because they come onto, onto that screen for me and I can direct them towards our lovely Rosie and Elaine. So we shall move on to our second speaker who is Elaine Poot who was Elaine Hanzak which I said earlier. She's a writer and I know she's an inspirational speaker because we've had Elaine a couple of times, also one of the festivals. She's known to many midwives um, and, and as an advisor and speaker on postnatal depression and bereavement and overcoming challenges. And she's taken part in TV, radio programs, and she's a very lively tweeter, as is Rosie, actually. But there. We're all we all like tweet tweeting here. Um, and Elaine's been recovering, I think, completely, almost completely mm. recovered from long COVID and sharing her experience and her expertise is now expanding out to perinatal mental health and potential. So welcome, Elaine. Thank you so much for coming this evening. And the screen is now yours. Thank you very much, Sue. I think many people feel that the end of the perinatal period stops when you put the, those prized possessions, the little um, name bracelet from the hospital, the first bib, the first curl, the first booties uh, in a little box, put them under your bed or somewhere special and we can look back at that perinatal period and think, oh, wasn't that lovely? And we move on in life. And that is fantastic. And I know that is the case for some women. Yet I would love to just really tweak tonight and make you aware of how important your role is in maximizing good mental health for women and all their families. 
I'd love to encourage you to learn more about perinatal mental health, whichever part, whatever you know at the moment. Maybe you know lots, maybe you only know little. I, I'm as an ex-teacher, I'm always a believer we can always learn more. And also, I would love to inspire you possibly to look at doing some more research into this area. I'm actually turning 60 this August and life, um, I, I don't quite know how that's happened, but it, it's true. And with age, let's say, I think sometimes, let's say, well, wisdom comes into it and, and maybe um, some pearls of wisdom. So what gives me the right to, to be here tonight? Uh, let me just briefly go through my story. I was a school teacher. I was happily married. I was very much a list writer. Back in 1996, when I had my baby, I'm sure if there were apps, I would have had them all and they would have been running concurrently and everything. I planned to precision. I loved being pregnant. I uh, rehearsed the birth. Everything was done with military precision. And sadly, the birth, well, the birth started out how it was going to be, you know, with the water birth, the incense burning, the panpipes playing. And I was waiting for this magical moment of this baby just appearing, my husband cradling me in his arms and the baby kissing me on the head and saying, oh, Elaine, what a wonder of nature we produced. That was on the plan. Unfortunately, the baby ultimately was born with a cord around his neck. I was whisked off to theatre. I had, was told later I'd had a retained placenta of postpartum hemorrhage. And immediately, really after the birth, it was me, Elaine, that put myself in that I have to do, I have to do, I must be doing. I would love to tell that Elaine now, go back, Elaine, you don't have to do all of that. You need to rest when baby does. You need to listen to people. But I didn't. I was due back at work in the September as a teacher, and I just felt that by then, really, my son should be driving a car. You know, it was, it was on the list. It had to happen. So I put all these pressures on myself. I pushed people away. And the week I was due back at my teaching job, he was rushed into hospital with suspected meningitis and a very poor little baby. And it was after that that my GP recognised that I had postnatal depression. My reaction was one of actually relief because she explained to me it was an illness that I could be treated and I would get better. She didn't tell me that I was useless. I was a failure and she was surprised at me, which was what my internal dialogue was telling me. I went to a support group. I took medication because I wanted to get well, but I put on this facade of I'm doing okay. In reality, my mental health was unravelling and ultimately by the Christmas as the mum I had longed to be, I could be found walking the streets in my nightie. When I was found, I sat on the kitchen floor and carved my legs with a knife. Um, I threatened to throw my baby down the stairs. I bit my lovely dad, all of these things and resulted in being admitted to the local psychiatric ward away from my baby. Um, I was told because I'd done all of those things, I should be away from my baby for his, his sake. I now know as a, a, a breastfeeding mum at the time that that was the worst thing that could have happened. And that's why to this day, I fully support the need for mother and baby units. I had eight weeks as um, an inpatient. I had various treatments, but the one that I have to say put me back on the road to recovery was ECT, electroconvulsive therapy. 
I was diagnosed with peripheral psychosis um, seven months postnatally. That usually occurs in the first few hours or days postnatally. But for me, it, it was later, but it was still in that perinatal period. I finally did get my life back. Certainly wasn't overnight recovery, but bit by bit I did. And again, so many people back then talked about the stigma of we are surprised of you. So being the, being the um, I, so, well, excuse me, I've forgotten the word. Oh dear, I'll come back to it. Compliant person I am. People said I should share my story. So I did. And my first book came, came out now in 2005, Eyes Without Sparkle. I gave up teaching and I've been doing the rounds of the conferences and lectures ever since. Part of my journey was I never had another baby. Our marriage dissolved and that was one of the main reasons. And with all the things that I learned, I wrote my second book, which is called Another Twinkle in the Eye, which is a guide for parents and professionals to help people make that decision. Do they or don't they extend their family? Because actually... In my case, and about the, well, the many other women that I am aware of and fathers, the perinatal period can actually become the best contraception because it's so difficult. If you have had a difficult time, what do you do? So hence, that was, was my second book. As the interim years have gone on, more and more it's, it's occurred to me that the women I've spoken to, the families I've spoken to, that it's not just that perinatal period. As I say, we can't just box it away and move on. So I'd just like to touch on some of the areas that I feel I would love more research, just more awareness, and also to say to you, thank you for what you are doing to look after your own and the family's mental health, because it matters. So we're not just talking, well, we are talking the mum, we're talking the dad or the partner, we're talking grandparents, we're talking the children, we're talking the siblings, we're talking the aunties, the uncles, the friends, the neighbours, anybody in that inner circle involving that pregnancy or child. So the long-term impacts. Of course, we, we hear about PTSD. We talk about birth trauma. For some people, that stays with them for years and years, and they can continue their poor mental health. One of my very close friends actually said to me one day that I was lucky that I'd become as ill as I did, because in doing that, I got all the help, I got the support, and ultimately made a full recovery. Years later, she is still on antidepressants because she said that ill health started post-pregnancy, and she never really, as she could describe me, she didn't get scooped up like I did. So they can be long-term effects. The guilt you have, as Rosie so beautifully said about, you know, what, what could she do? Could she be a, a good enough mum, really, for this child? That does matter to you. And there's a wide range of research out there that shows the impact on the child of antenatal depression and anxiety and postnatal. So put on that traumatic birth as well. And you as a mum can carry that guilt around for the rest of your life if your child has problems. And you know, and again, you know, a marriage breakdown, that is also, well, how's that going to affect the child? Relationships are affected by that perinatal period. For some, 
who have had a difficult time, that actually builds and strengthens their bond together and they they have a much better relationship. It's not all negative. Yet for some, that family does break down because you're not the same person that you were previously to that pregnancy. Your confidence and your character can change. So many women have shared with me that they had really good jobs before they actually got married. And they felt that the loss of confidence, their anxiety, whatever it was, that they actually had to change or lose their career. Mine changed. I I stopped teaching and I've had an amazing time, quite frankly, with all the places I've visited, the opportunities I've had as a result of it. Yet, fundamentally, that marriage broke down. The one time that really hit home to me uh, about how the long-term effects are there was when about 12, 13 years ago, I had to have a hysterectomy. And the uh, gynecologist just briefly said to me, oh, uh, did you ever want any more children? Because this is nature's way of telling you you can't. And that was it. And I was grateful for all the knowledge that I have acquired through being involved with things like this, that I was aware of I needed to talk to other people about it and just to come to that that terms with with that, because I'd always clung on to that hope that maybe one day I would have another child. Um, And that was the definite, no, you won't. The menopause as well for the women who have gone through life thinking, well, if only or I should have done. Let's can we look more at what happens hormonally? I know if you've had a tough time perinatally, does that mean around the menopause you might have additional problems? I think the impact with you on other life changes. Um, I lost my partner uh, 12 years ago this week, suddenly with, with a heart attack. When you get something like bereavement and you get those some of the similar symptoms that you do with um, a, a perinatal depression, the, the lack of sleep, the lack of appetite, the, the roller coastering of emotions, you can get very scared that, oh, no, are you going down that road again? Even though the circumstances are different, that vulnerability is very much there. Friends of mine are approaching the, the empty nest. Again, particularly if you've just had one child, you, you put everything into that child. And of course, it's right that they leave home and move on. But that can be another time that I know women have said how vulnerable they felt. And also, if people have lost a baby, or maybe they had a really tough time with a, um, a premature baby, every year, Every anniversary, it's, uh, you know, we, we say, oh, I lost my baby 14 years ago today. They're not celebrating there with a birthday cake or, oh, the 17, they can lay, learn to drive. It's an anniversary that's painful. It was a baby. It was a real life. It was someone that mattered to them. So all of these things, as I say, I just feel they... We shouldn't just box them in that perinatal period. And I hope I've just touched on some of those things there that make you think, yes, it is important that we we do have the much better 
um, resources, the facilities for perinatal mental health. I mean, even the term, what, 10 years ago, perinatal didn't exist. We just talked about postnatal depression. Whereas now with, with wonderful ladies like Rosie sharing what happened to them, them postnatal, um, sorry, antenatally, as she said quite clearly, when everyone expects you to be full of the joys of spring and oh, how amazing, when you don't feel like that, it's very tough. So what can you do? I am not suggesting for one moment that I expect that as a, as a midwife, you should also be a fully trained psychiatrist, that you should know exactly what drugs, all of these different things. No, I believe it comes down to the fundamentals of good care. Top of the list is listen. Listen, listen, and listen again. And also hear what people are saying. Really give them time to share what really is happening in their life, if they're concerned, what they are. Part of that then is to be informed and share that knowledge. Do you know, for example, where and who is your local perinatal mental health unit? Where is that network? Where is the local mother and baby unit? Do you know what purple psychosis is? Where could you look that up? If you don't know, I encourage you, find out. We all don't know everything. Of course we don't. The important thing is to think, okay, that's a really good question. And I'll go and find out. The final point I would like to make is just, yeah, four-letter word, isn't it? Just the importance of kindness. That, to me, is in capitals. That is the real headline here. The small actions make the big difference. As Sue said, in her introduction tonight, it is the small things that really matter. Let me take you back to um, the birth that I had. All health seemed to be breaking loose down at the messy end. The, the water birth had gone, the panpipes had gone, and there was chaos and mayhem, it seemed. It felt like this room had 20 doors and people were coming in from all over shouting at me, telling me, come on, Elaine, you'll have to push this baby out or you'll have to go to theatre. And I honestly thought, why? What's on? Um, but all the time, there was this midwife at the side of me. To this day, I don't know her name. I don't even know what she looks like. But she was holding my hand. She was stroking my hair at my cheek. And all the time in a beautiful, calm, reassuring voice, telling me how well I was doing, how soon that I would have my baby, that everybody there was doing the best for me. All these years on, I just can feel her presence. I know midwife means with woman. She certainly was with me. You can be with women and their families and all that means to be with them at one of their most vulnerable, the most exciting and the most incredible time of bringing a new child into this world. Thank you for what you do. Wow. My goodness. Well, Elaine has taken us <laughs> from perinatal right through to menopausal. She's given us a huge list of research, which is abs absolutely, you, you know, you could see these are things that need to be looked at. Mm -hmm. And I think 
what I loved is you highlighting that it's not just the mum and baby, but it's the oh. partner, it's the it's the friends, it's the family, it's the grandparents and everyone who, who are involved who might also be impacted by mm. how the mum feels. Uh, so thank you so much, Elaine. And we've got we've already got some comments coming through. Um, more, more, a few, a few more comments than questions at the moment, okay. but I'm I'm sure there'll be questions coming through. Um, and first of all, comment from Jane Marshall. Hi, Jane, who says so brave, Rosie, to share your experience in public. It's only through your courage and showing your feelings that midwives can support others who may be in similar situations. And a thank you. So. And then Claire Dale. Oh, hi, Claire. I haven't seen you for a little while. Um, more of a comment. I don't think you can ever overshare. If you need to get mm -hmm. it off your chest, then you should. I believe everything happens for a reason. Your experience and oversharing led you to where you are now and you're now helping others. That's lovely, Claire. Thank you for saying that. It's lovely. And then Juliet Samuel from Essex says, Rosie, thank you. How's your experience? Ah, we have a question. We have a question. I've got so excited, I've lost my microphone. I have a question. <laughs> uh, and Juliet says, um, has your experience led you to preceptorship lead? And is it part of influencing the next generation of midwives? That's a good question, Juliet. I think it has in a way, because um, I think everything that I've done, I've, like I've I, I people laugh at me because I say I've been accidentally promoted along my career and it's true because every time I've tried to do something I've been kind of promoted for it but it's always I've tried to improve services for women and for midwives um everything I do that's that's kind of where it's at and then um, when the preceptorship role came up it was very much that was my motivation with it, it was the first role of its kind at the trust um and that you know I, I loved teaching um the the next generations the student midwives and the other midwives and and a lot of my colleagues said I was the right person for it so I went for it and obviously I was successful but it was really about you know one of the things that I really wanted to get across to other midwives was don't just accept what you're being told you know to look at the evidence to look at why we do things not just we do that because that's why we do that but find out but why 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 do we actually do that is it evidence-based is it safe is it what women want is it promoting choice and I think you know it's too easy to be sucked into you know the the um, NHS and the the organization kind of treadmill mm. and just carry on doing the same old same old same old same old because that's what everybody else does and it's it's actually very hard to question why we do things. Hmm. And then the next thing, I, the next message I wanted to tell them was, you know, we all come into midwifery with rose-tinted glasses and to be the best midwife we could possibly be. You know, definitely I wanted to change services because I had a rubbish time at times. Um, but then you get frustrated as a midwife, especially as a newly qualified midwife, because you think, you know, I should be doing that. That's not the midwife I wanted to be. And then that makes you upset and you get, you know, very anxious and you it affects your mental health because you didn't become a midwife to do the things that sometimes we have to accept that you're doing. 
So my second message to all midwives was, you know what, just do your best at every given opportunity, just do your best. And like Elaine said, sometimes it's just that holding of your hand and Mm. helping somebody through the most traumatic time of their life, which, you know, that person probably wasn't even the case midwife. They were just attending to help the emergency situation. And yet that is the person that you remember the most and helped you through that the most. And it just goes to show what an impact that we have on every single little thing that we do. And yet that midwife probably left that room and at some point thought, you know, well, bloody hell, I didn't manage to do something for my lady. You know, I didn't do my CTG sticker or, you know, I was quite critical of herself. So, you know, just do your best and and acknowledge your best. And sometimes, sometimes you will have really rubbish days where you feel like your best isn't enough, but there are women out there that appreciate that, like Elaine. Yeah, I thought. I mean, I think that was a really good kind of um, ex- example of what impact we can have. And I, for me, as, as Elaine was talking, I'll let Elaine speak in a second, but I was thinking it's, it's interesting that, you know, if you reflect on, and we're all taught as, as student midwives and then midwives, we need to reflect on our practice. And I wonder if that midwife had the opportunity to reflect on the impact she may, might have had on Elaine. She might be w- watching now. So you never know. That could have been any of us midwives doing the, the stroking of the hair and, you know, looking after you. But Elaine, I don't know if you want to say anything to that. I would agree with Rosie. I think wherever, whatever we do in life, it is about giving the best that you can. There, there's always something that we're so brilliant, aren't we, in life in pulling ourselves down with the, I should have done this. Why didn't I do that? Um, and I actually met with a friend today that we've known each other since we were 16. And of course, we we, we were reflecting on, on our, our lives and yes things have changed um and my path's taken certainly different ways than I expected to looking back maybe would I done anything different maybe maybe not we just have to make the best of of whatever we do none of us know how long we're here for so I I I think that the thing is just do the best in whatever role you've got and give yourself and others credit for what you are doing Mm. We're so quick to judge. We're not mm. as quick to praise, and I think we should be. I mean, I think it's interesting that both you and Ro- you and Rosie highlighted being quite hard on yourselves when you were mm. unwell, mm. and you kind of think it's a, a kind of almost um, an emphasis on those feelings that we have. They've kind of all ro- mushroomed out even wider. It's quite um, powerful. So thank you for that. Okay, we've got another comment, another comment, and this is Claire Dale. And and she says, I feel it's important to highlight the option of a debrief if they've had a traumatic birth. Often I talk to women postnatally and they say their birth didn't go as well as planned. Not everybody knows this service exists and it can really help. I don't know if 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 um Rosie or Elaine want to speak to that. I mean, it, I think Claire, it, it this isn't a service that's everywhere. Um, but it's certainly, even as a, a junior midwife, one of the things I was taught was to go and talk to the mum after the birth um, and not to debrief because we didn't talk about those fancy words in my day. So I'm very old. Uh, but I know that one woman I spoke to 
who I thought had had a lovely birth, lovely fast birth, mm -hmm. fantastic. She was really upset when I talked to her and it was because she didn't have an epidural and in her mind she was going to have an epidural. And it made a big impact on me to think about it's not just what I see, it's what the woman see, sees and what she experiences. But maybe I'll ask um, Rosie to comment on that. Yeah, I think you raise a really, um, really, really important point, because one of the things that I do teach um, is how it feels to be the woman on the, the other side. So when within my clinical educator role, I am involved in the mandatory sessions for midwives each and every week. And obviously with my redeployment to um, ITU that came about because of my HDU training, I've kind of been more involved and obviously with my labor ward coordinator um, experience I've, I've had very heavy involvement in terms of um, you know seeing the impact that those kind of situations can have on the family and on, on the woman um, so you know I do talk to them about um, about how birth trauma affects people um, oh. how they can lose large chunks of information I remember one lady I looked after, she delivered, I think, the day before Valentine's Day. And the last thing she remembered was at Christmas. So, you know, I, I, I try and share information like that so that as professionals, we don't um, just assume and we don't, um, you know, th that we have greater awareness of what mm. it feels like to be on the other side. Because it's like Elaine said with um, one of her moments with I think he said it was your GP you know they or, or a doctor they just um you know it's very easy to give a one-liner that um actually is really really insensitive and can make you really hyper focus on that um but you know I think we are getting better in terms of um perinatal mental health and the debrief services out there um hopefully that can only improve more um there there is very much an increased awareness of it but I don't think midwives necessarily know enough that they can say to the woman um you know go back to the woman a day or two after the birth and say you know if they, if you have any questions about your birth come speak to me or you know here's mm. my contact details I'm happy to talk to you about it um because sometimes it's too soon mm. you know the 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 hour after or the the couple of days after sometimes it needs to be at a later date and that's that's what's really nice about the um, the birth reflection services and postnatal clinics that are mm. cropping up now, um, because it really gives you that time to uh, reflect on the situation and process what's happened, and then come back with your questions. So, I'm 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 hopeful that things will just continue to improve. I really am hopeful for that. That's grand. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to move on because I'm saying another message from Jane Marshall, who says Elaine. Your message is always inspirational, as are your books. Can recommend them to listeners. Uh, every woman has a different experience to share that midwives should be willing to listen. And then she says, how else can perinatal mental health provision improve? So she's given a comment and a sneaky mm -hmm. little question. Well done there, sneaky, Jane. Sneaky. <laughs> Thank you for the commendations there, Jane. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I think they can improve by having more of them. Um, I I feel that since I started out on this path officially since 2005, we have come such a long, long way with 
you know services everywhere when um conferences are due these days and I, I look down the list of attendees we have roles that didn't even exist mm. 10 years ago so I think we have to celebrate that and I think we still need to continue to grow it in the same way that mental health is far more now generically on everybody's agenda I remember some of the, the speakers, uh, friends that I had when I first started this out, say in 2005, I was the novelty act. Oh, you, you're talking about mental health? What? I know it, it, it's not something we talk about. And it's uh, I, I'm now quietly amused that some of the, the business speakers are now saying, oh, let's talk about mental health. <laughs> Um, so maybe if we do get more of this interest more globally from the um, corporate world and the businesses, I would love to see them put their money where their mouth is as well and, and support the whole families. And not just about, oh, well, mum needs an extended leave. What about dad? What about the grandma? What about the grandpa? Um, let's make it. I mean, I know there have been slogans, haven't we, that perinatal mental health is everybody's business. It is. And it should be. Beautifully put. Beautifully Thank put. Thank you so much. Now we've got um, Pauline Brogan. Hi, Pauline. She says, it's a comment, this one. And um, so inspirational. I look forward to getting your books, Elaine. Thank you. That's two books. And what, actually, I should have mentioned that one of the books has got a 20% discount on. And both all, of them. Both also, of them. Oh, both of them. And <laughs> yes. also, yeah. all of the, um, there's lots of resources to avail yourselves of. And I know Paul has busily put them on online for you all. Um, and she says, then, I work as a midwife in Northern Ireland and I'm currently undertaking a perinatal mental health module in Queen's University, Belfast. Well, that's fantastic. And that's that's something pretty new and, and spiffy. So thank you for that. And then Jacqueline Richards. Hi, Jacqueline. So such an inspiration insight. Thank you for sharing with such bravery and honesty. My question is this. How can we empower women better to prepare and anticipate emotional changes associated with pregnancy and childbirth? Birth. Whoa. Is that oh, one for that's... Rosie or is that one for Elaine? <laughs> Should we start with Elaine? Go with Elaine, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. I think it is by sharing the stories and and also we have to acknowledge that maybe when you're pregnant, you don't want to know. <laughs> um, it's a bit like saying, oh, it's great. I've just got engaged. That's brilliant. Wonderful. And someone saying, oh, that's great. Um, would you like to know the uh, name of a good divorce lawyer? <laughs> you know, we, we, <laughs> we don't really want to go down that, that route, do we? And I, I know certainly at the antenatal classes that I attended, I know that mental health was mentioned and you know glibly at that perfect postnatal depression doesn't happen to, what happened to me because I write lists um yeah it, it it I think we still have to share that information or at least to mm. signpost to say look you know we are hopeful that this is going to go beautifully if there are changes, if it's not feeling like you think it should do or how we, you know, plan A doesn't go to plan A, there are resources, there is information out there. The big thing is to say how you feel, to be honest. And I wasn't. And I, But I guess the good thing is that we are perhaps becoming less stigmatised mm. about this yes, and hopefully women will feel and and their partners also because it's a, mm. an issue for the partners as well 
in in coping with it and being able to say how they are honestly how they feel i'm moving fast because we got just two more questions now i've got samina akhtar hi samina who says do you think the perinatal midwife within the trust should do like a ward round daily on the antenatal postnatal wards like debriefing if required if the doctors aren't available and the ward midwives are busy that might be one for rosie i don't know about the answer to this i think this is quite tricky yeah, I think it's quite tricky, to be honest. I think if you've got an established relationship with that person, it might be harder to infiltrate that if you're the perinatal mental health midwife. Um, you know, certainly where I came from in my head, I never would have shared anything with that person because for me, that was a direct route into having my baby taken off me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think I would have ever have shared anything with something like that what I would say is um within my midwifery ambassador role one of our um our facets is listen with fascination so I would you know just urge midwives just you know we have a checklist within our um work of buzz questions that we need to ask so ask them but don't don't make them sound like they're off a checklist you know make them sound like you're you're interested that you you care um and then when the answer is coming you know put down your pen and paper or come away from the keyboard we all hate it when the gp's tapping away on the keyboard mm. and we're in front of them you know listen with fascination look at the person really understand what you're going through because actually a lot of the times the, the mouth can be moving and the good words can be coming out but you can see behind the eyes that there's much more mm. going on there so i would i would probably say no towards that kind of drive and just you know just be more present and be be more more there more there okay that's lovely and I guess with continuity of care models that would make it easier because Mm. you can talk to someone you know like your own midwife I'm I'm going to do a a last minute one now and this is I know we've run over a little bit sneakily and this is someone uh, as a third year student I'm doing my dissertation based on women's experience with depression in pregnancy, would you have any key points or resources you feel will show that there are ga- gaps in data and literature? Gosh. Um, if I could mention, I know I have mentioned on the resource list, but it's, um, the Maternal Mental Health Alliance hmm. um, has a wealth of support and resources there. The Marseille Society um is also excellent for all the research and developments globally for perinatal mental health so you would be able to approach them for some ideas on that fabulous thank you so much i think you might have to i don't have a name for this third year student you might have to do a little bit of a literature search for that as well but do have a look at the resource list because that's really useful now I have to bring this to a close I'm so sad this hour's gone as fast Mm. as every hour on a Wednesday's gone and I'm so grateful to Elaine and Rosie for being so good so honest with their experiences and their views and and really have shown us some really unique well that's women these women are unique and have these experiences to share. And thank you so much for being so generous with your time and your experiences. Um, and I have to say also a big thanks to Amy, who's behind the scenes making sure everything's working. Paul, who's thrown the questions through to me. 
and uh, you'll have the um, this is available. You'll get this as a podcast for those of you who want to listen to us all speaking on at six o'clock in the morning on Friday. That'll be available next week. We're taking a slightly different slant. We're looking at the psychological realities of midwives work because we're going to be looking at kind of stress and things for midwives. So that that could be very interesting. And we have the lovely Kate Greenstock and Dr. Anna Byron coming next week. So that'll be really good. Don't forget to book for the Safer Beginnings Conference uh, with the Best Beginnings and White Ribbon Alliance on the 3rd of March or the 10th of March in Manchester. Don't forget to book if you want to go to Ireland, if you want a trip to Dublin for the All-Ireland Festival on the 18th of April or in Leicester, the 16th of May. We've got a little festival there, which would be really good. So, oh, I feel a bit breathless now after all that. I'd say another big thank you to Elaine and Rosie and a thank you to you for tuning in. We'll see you next week, same time, same place. And in the meantime, take care and we'll see you then. Thank you for joining us for the Maternity and Midwifery Hour. This podcast has been made possible by the team at Maternity and Midwifery Forum and our CPD partners, Matflix. You can sign up at matflix.co.uk.